Morning, church. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Ezra. We're looking at chapter 7, verses 8 to 28. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law of the God of heaven. Greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisers to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisers have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the free will offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams and male lambs together with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasures of trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of the God in heaven, may ask of you. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence, for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute or duty on any of the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God, and you are to teach any who do not know them. 
Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honour to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favour to me before the king and his advisers and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Our next reading from the New Testament is from uh, the book of John, chapter 4, verses 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thanks for um, reading for us, Simone. Thanks for leading us in prayer, Maddie. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you here in person. It's great to be with you if you've joined us online. Uh, just a heads up, if I start leaning over and looking a little bit awkward, um, I just got a very small doubt of a dose of vertigo this morning. And uh, don't worry about me. It's all under God's control. Uh, I'm just saying that just in case. I don't imagine anything's going to happen. Um, I would like to share with you a little reflection on something that happened last year when William Shatner, who is the uh, oldest person to travel into space, uh, you remember William Shatner, the actor who played Captain James T. Kirk on the Starship Enterprise in uh, Star Trek? 90 years of age after he went into space and having been weightless amongst the stars, he testified as follows. He said, I quote, it was the most profound experience I can imagine. I cried and I cried. And for a little while, when we heard that testimony, we'd imagine those were tears of joy for the sheer exhilaration of being in space. But surprisingly, um, we found out in his new book, which has come out this year, uh, Boldly Go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder, uh, where he elaborates on his testimony about the emptiness of space compared to the world. His tears were not tears of joy. Let me quote from his book. He said this, My trip to space was supposed to be a celebration. It felt like a funeral. When I looked into space, there was no mystery, no majestic awe to behold. All I saw was death. I discovered that the beauty isn't out there. It's down here with all of us. Leaving that behind made my connection even more profound. It was among the strongest feelings of grief I have ever encountered. Is that a surprise to you? Shatner shared his experience, his testimony, his story, and you notice that your reaction and mine is one that it, it impacts us. Because stories about people and places and experiences 
shared shape us and they shape others. What is your story? What is your testimony? It may not be out of this world, but actually, if you know God, if you know the eternal Son of God, then it is. Because your story, woven into his story, is well beyond out of this world. It is eternal. Your testimony, your story, lasts forever. That word testimony that we use, or to testify, comes from a Latin word. Uh, the Greek word is similar, uh, marturian, and those words mean witness. In fact, the word marturian is the word from which we get the word martyr. As we know, there have been people in history who have laid down their lives to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the testimony of God, in his word, the Bible that we read week in, week out here together, and day in, day out in our devotionals, we see many people witnessing, authors throughout history, who have been in relationship with God like us, enabled to speak with the authority of the Spirit of God to share his word. And the Bible is God's word to us about who he is, and who we are, and how we can live committed to sharing our testimony of the transforming grace that we have known in the person of his son, Jesus, and how that's changed us. Isn't that right? That's the theme for today, for our commitment series. And just as a reminder by way of overview, um, we've been thinking about how Jesus was fully committed to us, and how we may in response be committed as Christ in our commitment of God's gifts to us. Last week we looked at treasures, this week we look at, at our testimony. Uh, next week it'll be our talents and then time and then the totality of our commitment. And during our commitment month, each and every one of us has received a personal address letter and there seem to be a few of us who've not yet picked it up. So if you're on the way out and you're a regular member here, would you be kind enough just to check the basket and get your letter, read it and discuss it and pray over it and ask the Lord how you might respond to it. If you're not a regular member here and, and there's not one addressed to you, just grab one of the generic ones that says Commitment Month. It's great to have you here, and uh, if you get in touch with the office, we can make sure that we've got your details up to date. And in addition to our Commitment Month, we're gonna be looking forward to a special celebration, as Shane alluded to, of our 50 years as a full parish on Monday the 36th of October an opportunity to be thanking God for the 50 years of a legacy that has been left to enable us to be established as a church family here in Fig Tree today, but also thinking about the legacy that we as a generation might leave for those who will celebrate a centenary, that they too might look back at the grace of God through us as we respond in leaving a legacy for them. So the big idea today uh, to encapsulate it, is this. Christ was committed, how will we commit our testimony to him? As in all these things, we need the Lord to help us, don't we, as we come before his word? So,
How about we bow our heads and we, we talk to our Father in heaven. Our gracious Father God, we thank you for gathering us today in the context of the immeasurable commitment of our Lord and Saviour Jesus to us, for us. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to the prompting of your Spirit, open our minds to the treasure of your Word, and enable us to respond in testimony, a willingness to share our stories recognizing that each and every one of them is part of his story for the glory of your name, Father God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three points today, and the first one that I'm going to land on is uh, Yom Kippur, a redeemed remnant. You may remember that every week we're looking at a Jewish festival that just happened to align with our commitment month in October. And last week, Jewish friends and neighbors were celebrating the festival of Yom Kippur. In other words, the Day of Atonement. You remember last week how I alluded to the week prior in which the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, had been celebrated. And then there were 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, during which uh, people would take the time to repent before God of their sins. In Jewish tradition, still these days, what would happen is that a Jewish person or family would sit in repentance before God in the hope that when the day of Yom Kippur arrived, God would graciously grant them a place in his book of life rather than in the book of death. For those who follow Messiah Jesus, we know that the only reason that our, our, our names might be found in the book of life is because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But it begs the question, doesn't it, who needs to be redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, redemption is when you have something that is already owned and then it gets bought back a second time. And what we see in the scriptures is that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God's people that he first made for perfect relationship with him very quickly disobeyed his good word and rebelled against him. And the day of atonement still stands in history as a testimony, as a need in each and every one of us that finds its origins in our forebears who first fell short of the glory of God. Since Adam and Eve, each and every one of us continues to fall short of the glory of God. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. And there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can contribute to enable us to, if you like, bridge the gap between our brokenness and the holiness and perfection of God. We are entirely dependent upon somebody else to do that for us, to redeem us. And as we read in Romans 5:19, just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, all were made sinners, and that included you and me, so it is through the obedience of one man, that is Jesus Christ, that all will be made righteous when we put our faith in him. And so as we look at this festival of redemption of Yom Kippur, which was established by God in Leviticus, chapter 23, we see that this was the most holy day. Um, reading from Leviticus, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold our sacred assembly. 
and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement will be made for you before the Lord your God. This day, Yom Kippur, this day of atonement, was the day in which a representative of God's people would go into the most holy place in the tabernacle or the temple, the Holy of Holies, a man set apart, the high priest, and he would enter in and he would sacrifice the life of animals, the life's blood, to make amends for the sins, the failures, the falling short of God's people, a bull for himself and for the other members of the priesthood. And then two rams, one that would be a, a, a goat set apart for God and one upon whom then all the sins of the people would be symbolically conferred and sent away out from the camp. The sins and the transgressions and the iniquities of all people would be laid upon that goat the sacrifice would have been made. And yet, of course, all of this was utterly ineffective. It didn't achieve anything. This was just the, the blood of bulls and, and goats. There was something far deeper that had to take place in order for there to be a true reconciliation between God, perfect and holy, and a broken, unholy people. But they were all signposts, pointing to the greater thing that was to come, and that was the fulfillment in Jesus Messiah. A high priest chosen from amongst God's people was only a working man, but the one who would be the high priest of a different order, who could make the effective sacrifice for all, was more than just a man. He was also God, the Son of God in the flesh, both God and man fully, as promised by Isaiah in Isaiah 52 and 53, as promised in the Psalms of David, Psalm 110, for example, in a different order according to the order of Melchizedek, that shadowy figure in Genesis that we don't seem to know a lot about but is wonderfully explained through the book of Hebrews. We see that Jesus was a different order of high priest for he was one, Hebrews chapter four, who ascended into heaven. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just like every other man, woman, and child in this world, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy not what we deserve for our sins, and find grace, the gift of God to us in Christ, to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, this is our testimony. It is not only about the transformation that Jesus has wrought in our lives, but ultimately every aspect of the stories that we have are part of his story, because he is the eternal son of God, unique in history, the only one qualified to bring forgiveness between us and God for all eternity. And he was committed to a cross to make atonement for us. God be praised. He's redeemed us and we are his remnant. And so it is that we move now from thinking about that situation with Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement to look at the history of Ezra and the people of God in exile. Have a look with me at the book of Ezra and we're here going into chapter seven, verses eight and nine. Uh, just as the foundation of restored relationship with God is redemption now, so it was in that day for the exiled people of God. Israel, of course, had been carried off by Assyria, effectively obliterated. 
Judah, the southern kingdom, had taken off, uh, taken off by Babylon, which had then been in turn conquered by uh, the Medes, and then now the Persian nation. And we'd heard last week how Zerubbabel led the first wave of God's people back to Jerusalem, and in this chapter we meet our second character, Ezra the pastor. Ezra is a pastor committed to preaching a spiritual revival amongst God's returned exiles. And the lovely thing about Ezra is he had a massive heart for the Word of God. He had God's blessing upon him because he studied the Word of God and he taught the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, let me say to you that the promises of God studied and the promises of God shared as testimony will be the source of blessing. Have a look with me at verses 8 and 9. Ezra, arriving in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king, he began his journey, and on the first day of the first month, he arrived in Jerusalem. It was a long journey. And then on the first day of the fifth month, as he gets established with the people of God, as the gracious hand of God was on him. Why was the gracious hand of God upon him? For... Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and to the teaching of the decrees and laws in Israel. He listened to the voice of God. He attended to the voice of God. And with generation after generation, he was the one who testified to Adonai, Elohim, the God of Israel and Judah, with conviction because he had seen God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. Strangely, though, he wasn't the only one who had a testimony to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Ezra, one of God's chosen people. But have a look at verses 11 and 12, and think then to the year of the king that Ezra had just described. The king had given permission to return to rebuild God's temple. But, but then we begin to think to ourselves, well, wait a minute, hasn't this already happened with Zerubbabel? Did, didn't Cyrus just give a decree to permit the people of God to go back and rebuild the temple. And then we think to ourselves, if we've been reading some of the other chapters in Ezra, in chapter six, didn't we just meet Darius, the, the king, who'd given permission to rebuild the temple and send the next wave off? Now, who's this new king? We've got a, yet another one. Verse 11, this is a copy of the letter of the King Artaxerxes. Given to, do you see what's happened here? King after king after king, Gentile kings are testifying to the God of heaven. Verse 12, this is a copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes given to Ezra, the teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning laws and decrees of the God of Israel, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law of the God of heaven. You see how God is using the testimony of Gentile kings to show his glory. Verse 25 to 26, in accord with the wisdom of your God, Ezra, which you possess, you appoint magistrates and judges and administer justice to all who know the laws of your God. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of your king must surely be punished with death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. It's pretty heavy-handed, isn't it? But here is the third king in succession testifying to the greatness of the God of Israel. All glory to God. You see, Ezra knows this God is real and he testifies to his sovereignty and in this, Ezra is encouraged. 
Praise be to the Lord, it says in verse 27, the God of our ancestors, who's not only preserved the people of God, but look, who has put into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king, because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, look what happens to Ezra, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. See, the truth is, in the end, only God can redeem and restore people to himself. And if you're somebody who's not yet recognized this, God is real. We won't find him by shooting off up into space in our tin cans to seek him out. He's the one who came from heaven in the person of his son Jesus to dwell amongst us, to feel the frailty of flesh with us and to redeem us through his death on a cross. Trust him and he will never let you down. Now Ezra, will the story will continue for us next week because of course when he gets there to lead a spiritual revival, sadly, he finds many of God's people who've gone already right in the thick of sins once again. And we'll see next week how Israel's disobedience plays out in Jerusalem. But for today, I want us to move on to think about what it means for us as God's people to leave a centenary legacy, and particularly in the realm of the testimony that he's given us to share. Ezra had a heart for the promises of God, trusting the testimony of the Spirit. And whether you and I, brothers and sisters, are speaking with a king or speaking with a commoner, we always speak on behalf of the King of Kings. The word of conviction of God, faith in him and his grace to us in Jesus, find their origin not in our experience and not in our intellect, but in the power at work in us, who is the spirit of God in us. And so whether your story is a mundane story by your reckoning, or whether it's a miraculous story by your reckoning, all our stories are part of his story. And so I want us to take away three considerations from the book of John concerning Jesus' interaction with a woman at a well. You see, the second reading we had read for us was where Jesus took a risk. Uh, you remember the backstory? Jesus was out with his disciples. He sent them off to a Samaritan town to go and get some food. And in the meantime, there was Jesus. And he broke all the social customs of the day to testify to his identity to this woman who desperately needed to know him and needed his help. Firstly, he met with a woman, which is not what you would normally do socially. Secondly, this was a woman of high disrepute. So Jesus left himself in a bit of a vulnerable position there. Thirdly, she was a Samaritan woman, and Jews simply did not associate with Samaritans. Fourthly, he's alone with her. Well, that could raise an eyebrow. Fifthly, he's out of the town in an in a environment that wouldn't really be conducive to a conversation, and there Jesus takes a risk and offers her living water to satisfy her soul, and so she then shared her story. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this wanton woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. My first challenge to us this week is to consider whether we've taken a risk. 
When was the last time you shared your story? Maybe you've never shared your story. Maybe you're somebody who shares your story pretty consistently, but there's just some relationships, and I feel this too, that you just feel probably isn't the best environment or the best time, or, or maybe it's just a worry that the relationship will break down if I were to be too open about the story of what Jesus has done in my life. Jesus took a risk for us. He was committed to us. What would it look like for us to be committed as Christ? My second point is this, taking the time. You see, these Samaritans, when they heard this woman's story, they came to Jesus. When the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he did. He stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. Let us take the time to refine our story and our testimony. This week's Life Group Bible study, which Shane has prepared for us, gives us the time and some really helpful tools to prepare our testimony. It may be a matter of rehearsing or refining for many of us, but it may be for the first time for some of us that we're actually gonna get to think and pray into how to share our story about how Jesus has transformed our lives. We're also starting our Hope Explored course this week. That's a great opportunity um, to share our experience of meeting Jesus. And also our young adults are gonna be starting the Talking Faith course. And if you're a young adult, you're most welcome to come. Some of us identify as young, right? But also to pray for that group, the next generation, that cohort, as they get better prepared to share their faith. The other rich blessings we have within our church family here at Fig Tree Anglican Church is we have authors of exceptional courses. Uh, just at the beginning of the year, we uh, traveled with Steve Abbott and some of our other pastors through uh, Steve's course on everyday evangelism. That's a wonderful resource, and if you've not had a look at it before, let me encourage you to speak to Steve or get a copy out of the library so that you can be equipped in the same way to think about sharing your testimony in a way that is winsome and clear. Many of us will be familiar with Evangelism Explosion. Uh, Rod Story and Langdon Stewart know a great deal about that, and if that's something with which you're familiar or would like to know more about, ask one of those guys. And testimonies don't have to be short things either. I mean, we've got some amongst our body here who have books that have been published, autobiographies and biographies, I don't know whether, when you last read a Christian biography. We've had uh, the biography of Spurgeon on the go in our household recently. Sarah's reading uh, the biography of um, Hamlin. I forget her first name, I'm sorry, but uh, the lady who established the uh, fistula hospital over in um, Ethiopia. Um, my daughter's got Elizabeth Elliot open at the moment, uh, the story of, uh, of, of Elizabeth. Um, we've, we've always got reading available in, in the, the throne room in the house. John Chapman's biography's in there. That makes a great read. When was the last time you read a, <laughs> it's a good place to read, right? When was the last time you read a biography that really, again, encouraged your heart? Or perhaps it's time for you to write something a little more comprehensive. Maybe even publish a book. Thirdly and finally, taking the lead. What a great thing it is to be able to have a baptism here this morning. A testimony to God's work not only in the life we pray of Little Eden, but also the families who surround him and will raise him with us as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
the way in which we stand and testify together and to one another, the Apostles' Creed, the things it is that we believe, the way in which we have prayed for our brothers and sisters at Sitting on a Hill, where our dear brother Andrew Thorburn, and I know there's a massive firestorm about who said what and who did what and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, that's a brother who has stood firm for his testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in a very complex and difficult situation. We pray too for our HSC students. What a wonderful and profound space that is for those who are followers of Jesus going through a very anxious, tough time to express to their peers their trust in the sovereignty of God. Pray that they would have the confidence to do that. And all of this, why? Because it's for the glory of God. And it's good for our faith. And it's out of this world because it impacts eternity. Verse 42, they then said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So I'm gonna conclude with um, that challenge that I had for you last week. Uh, this is the Aussie or the English breakfast, depending on how you're wired. You remember the picture, bacon and eggs. The chicken was involved, and the pig, the pig was committed. We're all involved, but are we committed? Committed as Christ? When it comes to sharing your story, when it comes to sharing your testimony, which is at the end of the day, his story, his testimony, will you be absent? Will you be involved? Or will you be committed? In summary, concerning our testimonies, in the words of Gypsy Smith, I, I share with you, we are living a gospel, a page every day, by the things that we do and the things that we say, and people believe it, whether false or true. Now, what is the gospel according to you? Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father God, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ was committed to us, committed to the point of death on a cross. We've been challenged to think today about how we will commit in our testimony to him. Give us faith in the testimonies that you've entrusted to us as your children. And we give these back to you, redeemed as your people, saved from sin and death into forgiveness and life through our Savior and Lord Jesus Messiah. And as we journey together through our commitment series, we pray that you would move our hearts and empower us by your Spirit that we may be found faithful, adventurous, and compassionate disciples who delight in making disciples, who delight in carrying our cross and in following our Savior and King Jesus Christ. May we be disciples leaving a centenary legacy. May we be disciples as committed as Christ himself. And it is in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.